Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Crypto Coffee Hour. Here as always, I'm your host Jeff, here with my co-host Will. Hey guys, listeners, welcome back. Thanks for tuning in. Yeah, so this week we thought we'd bring up another guest. Um, you know, we like to have people on that are either getting into crypto or, or um, you know, just have some questions about it and try to do our best to clar- clarify anything or clear up any questions they might have. Yeah, so this week, actually, uh, it's with great pleasure show my very good friend, Evan. Um, Evan is formerly from the traditional finance side. Um, and we've had a lot of just conversations in general about markets. But as my interest in crypto um, has uh, has gone up, I've also kind of tried to infect Evan uh, about the awesomeness of all things crypto. And uh, and Evan's done his research. Uh, he writes down questions. Um, and I just finally thought it'd be a great time to have him on the show uh, and to try to help answer some of his uh, some of his questions. Um, so maybe Evan, before we get to that, uh, do you care to introduce just a touch about yourself, uh, where your interest in crypto lies, and what you hope to uh, yeah kind of get out of your journey? Yeah, sure. Um, thanks, Will and Jeff. Uh, thanks for having me. Um, yeah, just a little bit of myself. So I used to be in the traditional finance side, uh, looking at uh, equity or fixed income investments. So just now, I uh, in terms of crypto, right? Um, I got to become a passive investor, uh, you know, through through a family, and they they organized a crypto fund, and I just be, I just have been a passive investor you know, for the past three or four years, and never really read a lot until we have been catching up with uh, Will, and then he the catch up just became entire you know, hour of crypto related topics, so <laughs> it just got me so frustrated because. I have no idea what he's talking about, and I think that frustration led to intellectual curiosity, and just yeah, thanks for uh, Will sending me a lot of links. So I just spent you know the past month just kind to get a I don't a, a balanced view of what is this entire thing is because a few years ago it was just only about you know Bitcoin, right? Everyone was talking about, it. and now it's NFT and DeFi and GameFi and DAO and and I think there's so many questions in my mind, but I think in terms of today, I just felt like, um, like how can I, as a retail you know, investor perspective, to kind of see through all these kind of speculations or scams or volatility, like how is this entire Web3 or, or blockchain gonna be useful in you know, real life you know, in the industries? Like like yeah like real life application so yeah just mm. I'm I, I I'm gonna I'm gonna jump into all those questions with this kind of perspective. Yeah, cool. I'm just kind of curious about yourself. You said you were a passive investor. Um, does that mean you were just you know like you were familiar with Bitcoin? You bought some like Bitcoin and Ethereum or kind of any of the major coins from the past few years? Um, is that kind of what you meant by being a passive investor? Yeah. So. Basically, my cousin he he quitted his uh, investment banking job back then, and he started off with this crypto fund back in twenty eighteen or seventeen. Um, and basically, I just put in the money and let him manage it. So he has been managing like ICOs, Bitcoin, uh, Ethereum, 
and yeah, I, I, I don't really care. I just gotta put the money in and manage it. <laughs> <laughs> I see, I see. Well, Jeff, did you want to take a stab at his um, at uh, Evan's first question about just kind of the applications of Web three? Um, I think that's certainly a fair question that I'm sure a lot of our listeners um, are keen on as well. Yeah, so that's something we've talked about a bit before because a lot of the applications um, and use cases for Web three are being built and are not exactly clear on how they will really materialize. Um, you know, in in the future, like we talk a lot about how the potential of blockchain technology, putting data on chain, meaning that you can have things like, you know, transparent voting records, um, you know, you can have things like supply chain management that's been changed by how blockchain um, revolutionizes that data, right? But these are all things that don't right now exist. Um, the unfortunate truth is that right now, Web3 is kind of limited to DeFi and NFTs, which is great like these are legitimate use cases if you want to collect nfts or if you want to play around with different DeFi um, applications but the the uh, actual kind of like flashpoint between real world use cases and web3 is still be kind of being built out that's not to say that the progress isn't there right the products are being created um you see things like you know um blockchain based internet providers becoming a thing now where these are like legitimate businesses that have customers that have people paying for um, services in the real world, um, but receiving payments like the, the providers are receiving payments in like USDC. The customers are able to access these services in previously, um, you know, places that didn't have internet before. So all these use cases are being built out, and it kind of remains to be seen for the next few years to see how exactly they materialize in the real world. Um, I think the exciting thing about this space is that it gives everyone an opportunity to kind of shape that future in a, in a little bit, right? Like, it's not just kind of in our old Web 2 world where we sit back and kind of let the arbiters of the technology decide how, um, you know, our digital future is going to be like. Uh, in Web 3, like, anybody can kind of go into a DAO, write proposals, be active in the community, and in, at least in a small way, right, move the needle a little bit in the direction that they want to see this, uh, you know, open and collaborative digital world um, turn into. Yeah, uh, Jeff gives a really good overview on this space. And keep in mind, again, we're so early at this uh, kind of adoption phase that it will take some time for the real world applications to kind of uh, manifest itself. But what I can say is that um, the concept of crypto, the, the word to me that is most significant is the word decentralization. And there is a lot of controversy or debate about how much decentralization currently exists in Web3. And I think that's fair. But if you were to just think about the concept of decentralization, it's the idea that the middleman, right, the person who uh, is brokering the deal, or the person who is the kind of the arbiter, the person in the middle who um, really is, in previous cases, exists to guarantee the transaction or exists because there's no trust between you know, party A and party B. All those situations can potentially be disrupted. We've talked uh, previously about how, for example, um, you know, it used to be that you needed a, um, you know, a movie studio or an agent um, or a publisher right, to connect the audience and the content creator. 
the content consumer and the content creator um, needed kind of that middleman. But nowadays, uh, the producer of the NFT can just go directly to his or her audience. Um, I mentioned before, like, Evan, you come from the traditional finance side, um, banking, right? Banks exist for a good reason. Um, they're regulated for a good reason. However, we have started to see that banks have accumulated more and more authority or power, really. Um, and some of that may be used for good. And some of that may actually be to the detriment of the consumer or of the depositor. And that is why the banking experience, whether it's a JP Morgan, HSBC, and not to you know pick on those banks, um, but it's really uh, at the size that they're at, the service that they can provide for their uh, consumer or for their you know client, and also the way that they're regulated is such that it becomes very difficult for us to have a very seamless or innovative experience with banking. Um, and I think we can all kind of, uh, you know, kind of relate to that difficulty. So those are just two very, very brief examples. There's so much more. Um, but I just wanted to, to kind of uh, mention that the idea of decentralization, the idea of taking away kind of the middleman does open up a lot of doors for innovation. I also want to piggyback off that a little bit too. Um, like you mentioned that we're super early in this Web3 revolution, and I totally agree. Um, you know, there's rampant speculation in the market that makes it feel like we're not early, obviously, because some of these projects are extremely inflated in valuation. But the truth is, like, the actual infrastructure being built, the actual technology that's going to kind of power the internet of the next 10 years or so, these are still very early. When we look at, um, you know, let's look at Bitcoin, right? Bitcoin, it's, you know, one of the use cases that it originally sought out to be was to act as a reserve asset to get rid of the middleman, like you put it, uh, like you mentioned earlier, which in this case, the middleman would be, um, you know, the government, right? Government and government monetary policy. Um, it's taken bit year, Bitcoin like almost, you know, its entire life up until this point, maybe like 13 years now, for people to really start noticing that use case, right? The fact that, hey, this is something that the government can't directly control like they can put soft controls on it like the way china has banned um, bitcoin mining or certain places have really stringent kyc requirements they can put these soft caps and controls on but they can't outright control the asset right and people are now only really starting to understand that use case and we're starting to see bitcoin um you know being talked about in that manner but it's taken over a decade right to get to this point and with Web3, it's going to be similar. There's a lot of cool technology that blockchain enables, um, but it'll be a long time before we're in a place where that's ready to actually be used by a majority of people um, in real world scenarios. Yeah, well said. Well said. Thanks, Jeff. Um, Evan, um, what's next on the list? Or, or yeah, so actually, I, question I, satisfactorily. <laughs> yeah, so actually, this leads to my other question because. I, I get the entire thing, you know, people you know, who like the word centralization and you got those people with lack of transparency. But I'm just wondering, you know, with NFTs or like DeFi, right? You still kind of need a, 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 a middleman, right? Like like uh, like OpenSea or Rarify or like MetaMask, like all these kind of platform providers or infrastructure like ultimately of course they're not as rigid or boring as as those hsbc or jp morgan right but 
they're still they're still kind of like acting as a middleman to get the brokerage transaction fees, right? So ultimately, they you to a certain extent, you kind of maybe uh, lower the cost for those artists to to kind of publish their their pieces, their artwork, but still there's still kind of middleman player existing to provide this kind of infrastructure, right? You're right there. Like there is some sort of, um, you know, there's always a spectrum of true decentralization, centralization, right? There's going to be these middlemen um, protocols, right? But the pro the difference is that these protocols can be forked by anybody. So anybody can make a copy of OpenSea. And there are, there are many copies of OpenSea that exist, right? Um, that if users decide in the future, OpenSea service is, you know, either lacking or some of these other, marketplaces are offering a feature that OpenSea doesn't, like LooksBear offers fee sharing with um, its users. So like people may migrate over. So I think the real difference is that in the Web3, it's not just that it like lowers fees for users for a lot of these projects, but it really lowers fees for competitors, right? It makes it so that anybody can spin off a competitor of your product. And this creates some interesting game theory dynamics of okay, do you go on the defensive and try to protect your product, um, you know, your innovation or whatever? Or do you just, you know, accept that in this space, it's a space that's built on multiple, multiple protocols creating Lego blocks that interrupt with each other? And is it just better that you can accept that, you know, like someone's going to take my product and build something on top of it? And that's okay because my product is something that has been built on top of these other existing protocols and technologies um, before me, right? So I think the difference in Web3 is that this collaborative and ownership nature of everything is very different from our traditional finance and Web2 structure, where the centralization um, is so strong, right? The centralized forces are so powerful compared to the user. Yes, in Web3, there will be some level of centralization, especially in these early days, as we're kind of building the infrastructure and everything, but I believe it still kind of pales in comparison to the level of centralization that we're trying to move away from. Yeah, Evan, just to uh, kind of chime in there as well, um, you're absolutely right. And you're very keen on observing that uh, it's, it's very hard for us to jump from, you know, web two to web three in a single step to go from a world that we're so used to centralization to one where uh, there is like no CEO, there is no customer service, where there is no kind of central authority that governs the rules. So as Jeff said, we're not there yet. Um, we're kind of maybe in a web 2.5 or 2.1, I, I don't wanna give a number, um, but uh, some things are perhaps better centralized, right? I mean, I'll just go out and say that some things are perhaps in limited cases, um, it probably is more efficient. Um, and you well, can think, think about- yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I think I think you're definitely right. Like financial services is tricky because the centralization aspects of banks offers a lot of benefits. We've talked about this in length before of how, you know, we don't want it so that, oh, you've been working your whole life and saving for retirement, but you lost your private key, like tough, tough, you know, now <laughs> you're just kind of like out of out of your money. Um, obviously, that's not a great situation to be in. So there's different advantages that centralization confers. But I think what's powerful with crypto is it offers the option, right? It offers the option for people that want it to not be kind of controlled so heavily by these centralization forces. 
Um, in our current paradigm, we can't opt out, right? We all are, have to participate in whatever centralized monetary policy our government decides to impose on us. Um, crypto means that we can kind of, for the first time in human history, decide not to participate, right? To participate in this alternative economic ecosystem that is not controlled by governments through the um, threat of force, right? And I think just that option is already huge. Mm. Uh, couldn't agree more. Uh, another example I can think of is Facebook, right? They're coming up with kind of their own version of the metaverse, which will be, for all intents and purposes, centralized, much like the Facebook, um, you know, kind of Web2 version is centralized. And that has gotten a lot of pushback from its users now because people have benefited from it, but they also realize that Facebook wields a lot of control in terms of the rules of the game, right? Um, you know, what advertisers, what message can get across, what posts, what pictures. Um, so now we have, as Jeff said, a web kind of three decentralized version of um, the metaverse. Wait, again, which we're not there yet. But the idea is that um, that universe, the rules of the game will be written more or less by the participants. Um, now, whether or not one universe is better than another, well, that's to be determined. People will decide um, do they want the more kind of, you know, uh, manufactured experience that Facebook with its kind of top level engineers and creators will create? Or do they want something that's a bit more determined by people who own tokens of this one metaverse and everything is kind of determined by, by governance, um, by community governance? So that's to be seen. And so, um, you know, again, this argument about decentralization, centralization is something that I think as a society, we will need to uh, decide on. However, as Jeff said, there has been this push to make everything so centralized that there is naturally a backlash and some things are better decentralized. And also um, the idea of innovation, for example, I mean, a lot of these projects, and we haven't gotten to that, uh, a lot of these projects, uh, protocols, they're so awesome because there was like a few geniuses at the beginning who created it. So yes, it wasn't a centralized, a decentralized effort in innovation. It was very centralized. It was a few guys in a room deciding that we're going to try to create something awesome. Then later, the founders may decide to give up more and more control of the project. And that is how a lot of these projects are set up. And that is why there's kind of this token concept. But we can get to that later. Uh, so so yeah, Evan, um, what's that? feel free to... Uh, yeah, let us know if, if some of this is unclear or um yeah we're happy to just kind of continue with with the flow yes thank you for i think i got some clarification from that so so i think i heard a lot of people or william you're saying you know the entire web3 thing is like empowering people just to take back ownership and it's transparent it's you know democratic you know you could have voting rights in the DAO to, to kind of vote on, on on how you're going to move on with this protocol. But I just, like, after all this research, I just kind of sense, like, ideally, it's, like, very good, but you know, ultimately, right, like, humans are crap. Like, they are selfish that, you know, they want to speculate, leads to volatility, uh, scammers. Um, I, I, I just feel like Traditional finance, right? Back then, it made we don't we didn't have that many regulations. But when when kind of people screw up, when there's not enough regulations, that's why there's more and more to 
you know, protect the the mass, you know, investors, right? So since DeFi or, or right now the entire crypto thing is kind of is still kind of unregulated to a certain extent, like, I'm just wondering, you know, as a you know retail investor, like before, I want to put more share of my wealth to this crypto space. Um, like to what's your view on like the extent of regulation gonna come into this space? You know, to you know, in, in order to become a mainstream, you know, asset class to diversify our, our our money into it. Like, how can this entire thing move on when you know? I, I was just checking on those websites uh, like called REKT. Like, there were like news about hacking almost <laughs> every week, and and like. I'm just wondering, like, yeah, like, like, ideally, it's like so perfect. But when it comes to human, when we have these kind of selfishness, um, it may kind of ruin the whole thing when the technology is really useful. No, I agree. Um, you're you definitely hit on some good points there, um, and it's part of why like crypto comes in many flavors, right? Like depending on your view of this exact kind of particular question, you may be interested in different products within crypto. Um, obviously, Bitcoin is the tried and true gold standard for kind of a conservative crypto investor, right? It kind of doesn't have a lot of these problems that you're mentioning. Like, yeah, people can lose Bitcoin and hacks, but how do they lose them? Usually, you know, through a centralized exchange losing them, or, you know, they put their Bitcoin... Um, into some wrapper on some other network like Ethereum where they didn't actually have custody of their Bitcoin anymore. So different products and protocols in crypto have different levels of this kind of security that you're looking for, right? Um, it may turn out that in the future, like I don't think this is likely, but it's not It's not a 0% chance that one day in the future, you know, they it's found like, oh, Ethereum is not a scam per se, but like it doesn't really have use outside of DeFi and like, or there's just so many DeFi hacks or anything that it substantially kind of like lowers the shine for some of these smart contract platforms. I don't think this is going to happen, but it could, right? Um, but, you know, and even in that world, you still have something like Bitcoin that exists that is kind of separate from all this that, um, you know, has a secure network, the most secure network in crypto. Um, sure, it doesn't do much, but that's kind of also to its benefit, right? Because it doesn't have smart contracts and all these other programmable qualities. It's kind of this inert asset that everyone can kind of count on to be exactly what it is. Um, so I guess to answer that, like all this innovation and everything is going to happen. Um, there are going to be a lot more hacks in the future. A lot of people are going to get their money stolen or anything. But that also goes hand in hand with the maturation of like security technologies, chain analysis, even like the guy that stole $650 million from the Ronin network really recently. Like good luck, like realizing all that money, you know, that guy might have technically he has like a bunch of Ethereum, um, but chain analysis is so powerful. And, you know, even mixers that help you kind of anonymize your money on chain. They don't have the liquidity to move that much money, right? Um, so I believe in the future, you know, we're going to see law enforcement work more closely with chain analysis companies. Um, we're going to see regulation come 
Um, it's inevitable that it's going to come into crypto, but the space also moves so quickly that I don't know if the regulation can really keep up with the innovation. Um, and then for, from the retail perspective, right, that's kind of up to the, the individual investor to do their research on the different assets that are inside crypto and the different asset classes within crypto itself and decide what their level of risk tolerance is. Yeah, you know, Evan, I have to say, um, I, I'm pissed. I'm pissed whenever I hear about kind of a malicious pack, uh, a phishing kind of website. Um, you know, I'm pissed because as someone who really believes in this space, I think it does such a disservice um, when there are bad actors in this space. But I'm also um, not naive enough to realize that um, this will happen and it will continue to happen, as Jeff said, because um, it's just human nature. You know, it's just human nature to be able to uh, kind of try to take advantage of other human beings, other vulner vulnerable people. Uh, unsuspecting people. Um, so it's unfortunate that this is happening in this space at a time where we need great publicity, right? Um, so I, I'm telling you, I, I hear you. Uh, however, after having said that, um, there are, I mean, I would like to think that there are actually, because I've come in contact with them. I think when you read the newspaper headline, especially mainstream media, written by reporters who don't have a deep understanding of crypto, they tend to dramatize the negative aspects of it. Just because, you know, dramatize the negative aspects of anything sells, right, uh, sells newspapers. So um, I, I think I would ask, or for listeners and Evan and for your friends, uh, to really look deeper beyond just the headlines. See, how, was this an isolated incident? What, um, you know, what are some of the, the kind of lessons we can learn from it? And also, uh, really, I think for people who want to get into this space, uh, get into it with a trusted friend, colleague, mentor. Um, I mean, that's certainly how I got into it. It doesn't mean that you won't, you know, still make mistakes along the way. And some of them may be costly. But I do think, um, you know, if you want to keep it simple, uh, simply, you know, opening up an account at a centralized exchange, right? Buying some tokens um, mm -hmm. and then moving that off to uh, your you know, kind of hardware wallet, they call it a, a cold storage. Uh, maybe that is just the first um, kind of step if you don't want to get too complicated with, you know, DeFi and bridging assets, you know, buy some, you know, maybe the top three to five to 10 kind of market cap tokens and then move them into your wallet, move them into your MetaMask, move them into your ledger. Um, and then that's maybe that's your risk tolerance, right? But then as you get more comfortable and as the security features in this ecosystem develops, then you can start playing with them a bit more. I mean, I would say, um, you know, try not to use protocols that just have a few months of uh, track record or history. Try to use the ones that have uh, kind of are, are better known um, and have a longer period of not being hacked. Um, but again, I, I think it's um, it's a space that I hope doesn't, prevent or I, I hope these hacks um, don't prevent people like yourself from wanting to learn more about this space and understand how to navigate it. Yeah, I, I, I echo what Jeff and you say. I, I, I think I agree with Jeff particularly on the point. I think there will be more scams ultimately. This is human nature and I agree that regulation will always not keep up with the innovation like look at uber like kind of all these traditional startups like 
even up to date now, they haven't even caught up with the regulations yet, but they're still running, right? And still expanding. So, but kind of like when, what do you see in the future when regulations come in? Like, is it going to be affecting the true spirit you know, of decentralization or like the innovation that we are seeing right now? All those protocols, I could see people, like smart people going into the field. They bring in different uh, strategies, different uh, business models. And yeah, once the regulations come out, like how, how is this going to affect the entire ecosystem? I might be, I honestly might like differ from people because I don't honestly think when regulation comes in, it's not going to have as big an effect as some people might think. Um, because we already see com- companies, because ironically, because of the lack of clarity on regulations, right? We see companies just avoiding the US altogether. Um, you know, most, you know, consensus. This is Brooklyn Bay, obviously, but like most crypto companies are not based in America. You know, they're either incorporated on some offshore kind of tax haveny place, or you know, they're based out of um, Europe, like Switzerland in particular. They're um, you know Singapore, uh, Korea. So just the lack of regulation in America, the lack of regulatory clarity, I should say, in America has already pushed so much of the industry. Outside of America, um, and so if America continues with, and I'm speaking about America, obviously, because one, I'm from there, and two, it kind of is the leader of the economic world, right? What America does, the rest of the world kind of falls in line. Um, and if America does become very heavy-handed with its Web three regulation in the future, um, you know, people, it's just going to lead to more of the same. People are just not going to set up shop in America. Um, all the talent is going to leave America to work for these foreign-based businesses that are friendlier crypto. Um, and I believe, like, the regulatory thing, it's also not set in stone, right? Like, yeah, it makes sense that regulation is going to be coming to stifle some of the scams. Um, there's fears that it'll stifle innovation. But it's really, like, like, there's also the other side of it where crypto represents this huge, huge industry, Right ton of money flowing because of this industry and if you're a foreign company uh, if you're a country that is looking to kind of build itself up and create a you know a new industry for itself most gdp in the future um you know it would be smart for them to start thinking about how do they attract this talent knowing that right now the regulatory pressures are keeping companies away from uh, major economies like the u.s right like if i'm a different smaller country I may be thinking of, okay, how do we structure our regulatory framework so that the talent is more attracted um, to come here and start, you know, a crypto industry in this company, in, in this country? Yeah. You know, not all countries globally um, anti-crypto, as much as it seems that way. And certainly, uh, you take a country like the U.S., I think it's still very much to be determined the stance that it wants to take. Now, certainly... Some regulations will be um, will will push uh, crypto uh, further back in terms of its development, its ability to innovate. It's and and perhaps some of that is good. Perhaps some of that is good because it um, does you know bring more legitimacy into this space. Uh, so some regulations, again, smart regulations, um, are I think helpful for this industry. Uh, but then, as Jeff was saying, there are other countries who are very crypto friendly. They see that 
you know, as a great equalizer for them, you know, um, and this is something that's very sensitive for uh, people in the U.S. or particularly for politicians in the U.S., but to kind of diminish the significance of the U.S. dollar. That could be um, something that other countries, without directly saying it, because they don't want to obviously um, kind of ruffle any feathers in Washington, um, that could be uh, something that indirectly kind of other smaller countries may want. So, um, and they want to nurture this, this technology, um, especially if the rules of the game are going to be set by Web3 going forward. Uh, I think countries want to take a lead in that. You know, in some countries, um, again, especially a country as big as the U.S., um, I think there are many voices. I think it's, um, I think it's intellectually lazy to just say, oh, if regulations come in, um, this whole thing is just going to, uh, as if like regulators can press a button and Bitcoin goes to zero or crypto like stops development. And the reason I say that um, is because I, I do hear that voice a lot from people around me. They're almost like, oh, this game is great until it's like the, you know, regulators come in, governments come in and shut it all down. And uh, I mean, we could go into the technical details of why it's actually very difficult uh, for the government to to shut it down completely or in the way that we think they can. Um, but even, you know, even in the U.S., there are lobbyists. There are different groups or different voices. Some people feel like it's good for them. There, some people benefit from this. Uh, they're already seeing the benefits of it. So I think politicians, because it's a democratically elected um, government will be responsive. Yeah, and I think that crypto, there's so much money in it now too, um, that that money is going to be a force, especially in American politics where money has always played such a fundamental role in the politics in America. Um, you know, crypto now is forming things where it's like, you know, forming its own lobbies based around Web3. Um, there's candidates that run almost on an exclusively like pro crypto platform. Um, as these issues become more and more mainstream, right? As crypto takes more and more of a political stage, it's hard to imagine regulations very, very damaging to the industry. Um, I think Americans are starting to wake up to the fact that crypto isn't really the enemy. Yes, part of its mission is kind of subverting the dominance of the US dollar. But on the other hand, it's uh, incredible new growth industry that the Americans can either um, choose to embrace, you know, and have this as another driving force in the world's largest economy, or, you know, they can reject it. And then another country is going to pick up this valuable asset. Um, and then they'll benefit from all the financial gains and innovation that comes out of this in the future. Um, so as the, as the debate becomes more and more loud, I don't think that regulation is going to get heavy handed. I think it's actually going to be the opposite and regulation is going to form that will provide clarity and also aim to retain some of the talent in America, which ultimately means friendlier um, regulatory practices. Yeah, thanks, Jeff. Uh, actually, I just well, I just pop up a question in my mind because you know when when uh, William just uh, sent me all those links. Um, honestly, I was feeling quite overwhelmed because a lot <laughs> of you know, blogs. It's like oh, to the moon, and then I just see the passion. <laughs> And the hype, and then I, I, I was like, okay, let me find something like, uh, like a devil's advocate. So I, I, I'm able to find some, like, uh, some online, 
And then I remember William ta- um, telling me, you know, the Web3 and the entire thing is going to decentralize and then there's the, the spirit of equality, right? And then I just came into a figure where they say the top 9% of accounts hold um, 80% of NFT on the Ethereum blockchain. And in terms of NFT, there's like a tight circle of insiders doing what this thing and then a lot of mutual investors may, may not be able to earn profits and Bitcoin is even more centralized with 2% owning you know, 95% of supply and like 0.1% of miners responsible for half. So I'm just wondering, um, there's some questions floating in my mind right now. Like, Since there's like a, such a concentration of miners, like what if there's like a, I don't know, like natural disaster happening in that place where they place all those servers? Like what is the consequence to the market when you know, it's fully concentrated with these kind of miners or suppliers maintaining this infrastructure? And the second question is, uh, definitely there's so much speculation. So actually there's this, and unlike stocks, right? You, 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 at least you have like a company running and now it's just basically driven by speculation, supply and demand. So as a retail investor basically my wealth is kind of subject to these kind of sharks or or whales who may dictate the market movements maybe maybe it's similar to the traditional markets where it's also kind of dominated by you know well i was just gonna say yeah the traditional markets aren't that different with their market makers um i think the difference is in crypto it's easier to become a market maker yeah yeah that's what I'm saying. It may be similar, but given the volatility, like, whoa, this is so concentrated. I was just going to say, first of all, Evan, thank you for doing your homework, you know, for this, uh, for this podcast. I almost feel bad because I'm like, oh my gosh, I gave you all these, uh, you know, articles to read on the weekend. I think I just did it because I'm super passionate and I think there's so many good articles out there. I mean, I have... Like I, I have to reorganize my bookmarks, you know, on my browser because there's just so much good articles. And so I only just gave you the tip of the iceberg. But I also know because you're like a student of, you know, um, of research and, and you love to get into the depth. So I love how, you know, Jeff, like uh, Evan came armed with statistics, you know, the 2% and the 98% and the 50%. I think that's, I, I think that's great. I mean, it's like um, you, know, you got to bring numbers, right, to a, to a debate. So, dude, those are those are great questions, and uh, maybe I'll, uh, you know, I'll take a quick stab at it, and then I'll let Jeff because he's been in this space for longer, so he definitely knows that this space very much uh, has a centralized concept to it, or at least um, the OGs or the whales they they have um, kind of a disproportionate influence on this space as well. So I'll just say, I mean, Evan it's inevitable that there's going to be a small population, small amount of digital wallets, for example, that will own most of the NFTs. Just because we're in an early stage, I mean, we're not in mainstream adoption, right? And I think that is where the opportunity also lies. When I go around, I mean, the people who are in it are really in it. They're passionate, they get it. And then the people who just are skeptical, um, they're not really ready to take the, uh, the, the leap. So yes, right now, crypto, I think naturally, is very much concentrated um, in the hands of a few. 
And then the people who kind of got in early, I mean, let's be honest, right? I mean, if you just, um, it used to be so easy to be, you know, given some Bitcoin, right? I mean, let's say 10 years ago, or maybe not even, I mean, you could have just, people were giving them out for free almost, you could mint them for free. Um, but, uh, but over time, right? Um, you know, those people who are like, oh my gosh, I'm sitting on this huge pile of Bitcoin that's appreciating in value. Uh, whereas the rest of us, you know, who are getting a little bit later does feel left out of the game. But I would just put that in context. I would love to put that in context. If you look at the traditional finance space, if you look at property, if you look at stocks, um, if you run those statistics on inequality, on the distribution, uneven distribution of ownership, um, I think you would be more appalled. So um, what I am saying is that at least um, in crypto, we still have the majority of the population, right, who is not involved, but who may get involved. And I think crypto is designed, right, really uh, to be accessible to just a few people in a room. I, I keep using that example because I have personally seen that um, with the people around me. And I'm also involved in helping these people with these projects where it really doesn't take much to just kind of launch a protocol, you know, get, um, you know, create a user experience um, that's or user interface um, that people can connect their wallets on. And, uh, you know, you write a few lines of code, you post it on GitHub, other people kind of observe and uh, evaluate. Um, and then, or as Jeff said, you can copy somebody else's code on GitHub, fork it, but then kind of do your own flavoring uh, in terms of how you build community engagement. Maybe you change the tokenomics a little bit. Um, so you, there's so much innovation that can take place. Whereas I think in traditional Web2 space, it's pretty formidable for a few guys in a room to really create something where you can directly uh, influence um, the kind of the people who, uh, who have money to put to work. It, it's actually very difficult to get to that because there's so many layers. There's so many middlemen, so many intermediaries uh, for you to come up with, you know, for you to try to raise money for a fund, for example, uh, in the traditional space, um, for you to, uh, you know, uh, target a particular audience, you need to trust Facebook's algorithm, right? But in this particular case, I'm, I've literally seen people around me uh, develop uh, protocols where people can just uh, because, you know, it's all online, it's all available. And you don't need um, a bank or an approval. People can connect their wallets directly to it. So I do think that this effort of decentralization of Web3 will make services more and more accessible to people. And for those, but that's only if people want to participate. And that's key. So if you want to be on the outside, I think, and then to continue to complain that, oh, you know, this is only for the elite, but then you're on the outside. So you're not joining in. Once you join, you'll realize how much you actually can operate in this space and how actually it is friendly to you. So that's just my take on it. But Jeff, uh, feel free to. Yeah, I was going to I was going to bring up the same thing about like in you know the, re the real world, so to speak. Um, it's it's similar, right? I don't I personally don't believe crypto is, you know, a thing that promises a more economically equal world. I think it has the potential bring economic services and products to people pre you know that didn't have i think that's very important um but i don't think it's going to be a force that really equalizes wealth um 
Um, rather, it's going to be like everything else, right? It's going to be a few people are going to get obscenely rich. Yes, because this is a new technology and a new asset. And the people that found it early on are going to benefit for sure, especially if they, you know, bought a bunch of it early um, in the early days. Um, but I think that's that's fine, right? Like in any other asset class, that's kind of the same deal. Like anybody that identified the value early on and bought a ton of them, um, you know, are sitting pretty now, whereas people maybe priced out of that asset um, in the present day. So I don't think it's very different in that regard. Yeah, there's some, there are definitely um, certain wallets that control a ton, a ton of asset. Um, but I think that's is like in traditional markets, that's almost kind of the same deal. Um, I think there is an advantage with blockchain technology and letting all that information be open and transparent, right? That we can even identify the exact number of wallets holding X amount of Bitcoin or Ethereum. Um, I think that's already a very powerful tool just to have that level of parity and everything. Um, but ultimately, I don't think it's that big of a problem. Um, obviously, it would, you know, it, it would suck if there was some black swan event where like Satoshi's wallet came back live and he just market sold all his Bitcoin. Um, but I just really don't see those kind of things happening, right? Like even with huge wallets that have an obscene amount of Bitcoin or Ethereum, um, usually those people um, or organizations or whatever um, have been seeing the value of that asset for a long time. And, you know, I personally do that such an like such a thing is necessarily bad for the space. Um, and you mentioned a bit about the miners and nodes and everything as well. Right? Um, I, I think it depends on the network. Like for Bitcoin, if like you said, a natural disaster hits some area, a lot of the miners, um, I don't really do much for the price. Like the network would still be secure, um, you know, and people would just take that opportunity that lowered hash power to start running more miners in different parts of the world to kind of take advantage of, um, you know, the Bitcoin rewards. Now, I do think um, one interesting thing, though, on certain networks, like we mentioned the Ronin hack earlier that affected $650 million in Ethereum. Now, that happened because that was a problem, right? Like their nodes securing that chain was not enough. They had nine nodes four of them were controlled by a single person um and the hacker was able to socially engineer his way to gain control of those nodes um so it really i know it's not the most satisfying answer but ultimately it depends right all these things um in crypto crypto is not a monolith right all these different products have different levels of security different levels of decentralization and they will all be impacted differently by these kind of events. Hmm. Got it, got it. Actually, I got some more like, more kind of stupid questions or more like, huh. funnier questions. So we love, we love stupid questions. <laughs> <laughs> so when, when I was researching about, you know, Bitcoin farming and solving all these, you know, mathematical puzzles, right? Like, who exactly like invented these kind of like puzzles? Like anyone managing them? Like 
<laughs> no, no <laughs> one's like managing them, right? They're algorithmically generated puzzles. There's a there's a good funny tweet someone posted that like Bitcoin is to imagine Bitcoin. Imagine you had to idle your car while it solved Sudoku's and then it rewarded you with coins, which isn't like incorrect in how, how Bitcoin mining kind of functions, right? Um, so these these puzzles are all just kind of algorithmically generated um, by the Bitcoin mining software when you run the node. Yeah, so your question, Evan, is um, what who created this puzzle, right? Is that what yeah, you mean? Yeah, yeah. Like, okay. yeah, so I know I know people keep saying it's like a puzzle as if it's like this incredibly complex, you need a lot of, whether it's uh, uh, creativity or it's like uh, you have to have a very elegant solution. But actually, uh, instead of saying it's a puzzle, I think it's more just a brute force computing power. Yeah. Yeah, it's just brute force computation. It's actually not that elegant, to be honest with you. Yeah, um, it's and, more just like designed purposely to waste a lot of um, computational resources. <laughs> Basically, it's designed that way so that the coin comes out is sort of backed, so to say, by the amount of electricity that went in to generate that coin. If you read the um, white, um, Bitcoin white paper, which I encourage, you know, all my, you know, we encourage all our listeners and also uh, all my friends who want to get into crypto. Um, yes, it's slightly, you know, um, mathematical. It may take some time to, to fully kind of absorb, but I, I think it is accessible. Um, I think, you know, the, the paper is not very long. Um, I think it's only like the first eight pages, I think, really will give you kind of the, the, the whole scale um, for you to, to understand. And for people who kind of want a deeper understanding, uh, I would highly recommend that, you know, you kind of go into it. But at a very top level, it's in order to guarantee that we no longer need a bank or a middleman uh, to secure or to prove that, you know, person A and person B can transfer funds amongst each other that, um, you know, the, the transaction and the amount uh, can be verified. There's this uh, idea of consensus that's built uh, amongst all the participants that they will try to compete to solve this kind of cryptographic puzzle. And the cryptography itself, that technology was actually invented, um, you know, I think in 2004 by the CIA. Uh, so it's not, you know, that kind of innovation or that calculation is really not new. Uh, but it's the application. It's the application of using that uh, kind of uh, algorithm combined with this idea of blockchain, which is you um, you chain you, you sort of have this connection between one block and another block, such that if you were ever tried to alter a previous block, you have to alter everything before it uh, and everything after it. So it becomes um, kind of very. Uh, computationally uh, impossible, almost infeasible for you to alter, um, you know, kind of the uh, a, a history. So because of that, um, you know, we can now say, all right, well, after all this kind of mathematical computation, we are satisfied and all there's consensus that the person who solved the puzzle, right, uh, is in fact solving a puzzle that all of us agree with. And so it's solving a problem that all of us agree with. And so now we will reward this person, okay? And so then it incentivizes more people to want to participate in solving this puzzle. At the end of the day, 
um, you know, the intuition I think our listeners should take away is that, you know, it is a, you know, it is a method that was, you know, kind of designed 2008, 2009, um, to solve the, uh, the intermediary problem, the, the, to create a trustless transaction. However, we are now moving on to proof of proof of stake, right? POS, which isn't so computationally intensive, so energy intensive. In fact, with Ethereum coming out, right? I mean, Ethereum has already had several kind of, um, kind of progressions towards this. Uh, but the idea is that by the second half of this year, Ethereum will be on proof of uh, stake instead of proof of work. And that will save something like 99% of the uh, resources or electricity that it uses. Yeah, so actually I want to touch on this. So I've been reading a lot of uh, articles saying, oh, the proof of stake or different consensus mechanisms are coming up to solve these kind of problems. So Bitcoin is still proof of work, which is wasting a lot of electricity. So my question is, with this kind of shift or innovation in consensus mechanism, will Bitcoin still be like dominating or like somebody will be replacing it? So that's up to kind of the answer because um, everyone in crypto is going to have a different opinion on that. Um, I personally think that Bitcoin is always going to dominate um, in some way because you know, even though it wastes a lot of electricity, like you say, it's always going to be on proof of work. It's never going to switch off of proof of work. Um, that's almost a feature because it provides reliability. It, it allows Bitcoin to just exist, right? It's an asset that has all the features already baked in. Um, I'm aware there is like development going on in the coin network, but it's extremely slow compared to the rest of crypto. Um, and I think... Even as like Ethereum moves to proof of stake, pretty much every new project nowadays is going towards proof of stake. Um, proof of work has its place, right? It is by far the most secure network. Um, it's been it's the most provably like secure consensus mechanism because as great as proof of stake is going to be, it's still relatively new and unproven. Um, and because of all of that, right? Even if everything else moves on towards proof of stake and everything no one uses proof of work any foot anymore except for bitcoin um that's always going to remain part of bitcoin's value proposition right the fact that it's never changed the fact that it reliably this asset that you know you can send it between people trustlessly and that's it um, um so i do think that it will maintain its dominance in some form does that mean like Ethereum will never flip Bitcoin? Like, no, like Ethereum may flip Bitcoin. Bitcoin may not always be the number one, um, but I think it will always have a huge place in the crypto ecosystem. Yeah, the, um, the kind of um, concept of Bitcoin, especially for Bitcoin maximalists or even for people um, who have been in this space for a while, it holds a special place. Um, and why it holds this place is a combination of, you know, it's, it's kind of it was the first um, it was the first coin. Uh, people attach certain um, kind of significance, also just I think kind of a mental or psychological significance to it. But beyond that, uh, because it will not change, right? It's like while the rest of the world or the rest of the crypto ecosystem is kind of on Ethereum, smart contracts, um, you know, building applications on these layer one networks, and then now they're scaling layer two networks, um, you know. But Bitcoin is kind of in its own, its, its beauty and its simplicity, 
right? I mean, I told you the Bitcoin white paper is only eight pages, right? You don't have to be a mathematician to understand it. So it holds a special place, I think, um, you know, in, in this whole ecosystem. But what exactly that means going forward, I think it would be very interesting to see. It's speculative, of course, but I would say that, um, you know, much like gold continues to hold a special place, um, even though there are metals out there that are more valuable than gold, right? Um, there are certainly metals out there that have greater utility, but people have decided that gold will be something that over time, and it's been tested, um, you know, that we will continue to occupy a special place. Uh, so, so yeah, uh, you know, do, do I, does it mean that Bitcoin will be, will fall out of favor? No, I think it will be used for different purposes. Um, you know, store value is the first thing that comes to mind. Um, and if for people who are concerned about the environmental aspects of crypto, there are certainly initiatives related to kind of more, you know, kind of ESG friendly type of Bitcoin mining as well. Um, so yes, in a world that, uh, I think people want diversity, people want, um, you know, kind of different, um, yeah, people have different preferences. So I, I think yeah. in that world, Bitcoin yeah. will have its place. Yeah. Yeah. And like you said, Actually, the... do we have, Sorry, go Sorry. ahead, Evan. I was oh, going to say predictability Actually, of, uh, yes. The predictability of Bitcoin is such a big factor. Like, you know, none of these other crypto projects or coins like have any real shot of really becoming a reserve currency in the world, except for Bitcoin, right? You know, Bitcoin actually, like, if you if I had, had kind of said this five years ago, I probably wouldn't even have really believed myself. But Bitcoin now has a real chance of becoming a form of reserve currency in this world, right? And I can't see any other crypto taking that spot from Bitcoin. Because of all the things we talked about, because it doesn't change, and um, um, we also can't ignore that Bitcoin has this like weird religious element to it too, which is kind of interesting for something that's like technolo technology based and kind of like a futurist project in some ways. That it has this like almost religious slant where people um, that subscribe to Bitcoin maximalism and anything and like everything not big the shit coin or whatever um those people are behave like they're in a religion in many ways um about bitcoin bitcoin has its like founding myth mythology right where the founder disappears and everything mm -hmm. so so like we can't underestimate that like it's always going to be in the crypto space because it had such a like interesting backstory to it like not only was it the first one it's the one that you can really be argued to be truly decentralized you know where the founder voluntarily gave up his horde of um you know just let the project flourish on its own afterwards um evan you had a uh, uh you had a question right we sort of interrupted you no worries, no worries. I, I'm just wondering if we still have time for my last questions. More oh, like a sure. personal Where, investment what question. You, so, so for because because William was telling me, oh, uh, like state like stable coins, right? You could yield up to almost like nineteen point five percent, right? And then I was just researching like is stable coins really stable? And then like there were news about like some some stable coins losing its peg and. I'm just wondering, like in, in traditional markets, they have a centralized body with enough of capital to meet to maintain a peg. But you know, with the volatility in crypto, like would that risk of losing a peg, like how does it 
work? Like after I deposit that money, who gets the money and do they loan it out to third party? So these kind of questions in mind, <laughs> is it really stable? Yeah, so that is a good question because the short answer is no, it's not really stable, right? A stable coin um, aspires to be stable, aspires to be pegged usually to the dollar, um, but it doesn't mean that it always will be, right? Especially the stable coin problem is one that the space has been trying to solve for a few years now. Um, you know, I'm sure you're familiar with Tether and all the negativity surrounding Tether and its kind of um, very like opaque operations and the backing for its stablecoin. So there's been a lot of attempts to create, you know, crypto native stablecoins that are either algorithmic or um, collateralized in some other way uh, that's not just like trust Tether that they have all this money. <clears throat> now, you know, the peg is one thing that is kind of held together in some ways by game theory, right? A lot of these coins, essentially, they operate, this is oversimplified, but they operate under a premise that like, okay, if we depeg, there's a mechanism in place that allow people to arbitrage the difference um, and help us maintain our peg. The efficacy of these, um, you know, algorithms differ. Some work better than others. Um, but I think what you're asking is still kind of an open-ended question, right? We don't know what will happen if there's a huge bank run on these stable coins. <clears throat> like, we talk a lot about Anchor and UST um, in the Terra ecosystem. But, you know, out of UST's huge um, multi-billion market cap, like, a lot of it is deposited in Anchor for its guaranteed 90.5%. Now, if Anchor decides tomorrow that it's lowering the APY to 10%, you know, we'll probably see a lot of UST move out of that ecosystem. <clears throat> and whether or not that causes a DPEG really depends on how robust the mechanisms in place for that specific stable coin are to absorb that kind of price action, right? Um, <clears throat> and that's where the stable coins aren't kind of created equal. Um, you have to look into how the stablecoin maintains its peg, the me mechanism it uses to make sure it's always at $1, and then <clears throat> kind of evaluate for yourself if <clears throat> that's the one to I'll put your money in. Sorry. Yeah. I'm laughing it's okay. Right now. <laughs> uh, it's okay. Uh... Oh, I was trying to keep that in. Whoops. Okay. I'll mark this time yeah, down. We... Yeah, it's okay. So, uh... <laughs> Well, it's okay. We'll, we'll edit that part out. Um, <laughs> no, no. It's uh, see, so you're getting you're getting excited, Evan. Uh, talking about stable coins, um, and uh, and this is Jeff's allergic reaction when he gets super excited about something. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll have to say, Evan. Um, you know that stable coins. We could do a whole new podcast on this too. Um, and you know, every as uh, we do have to be careful about it. Uh, if you look at uh, UST, uh, if you've been following the developments, um, they've been actually trying to make a greater effort to prevent the kind of what they say death spiral uh, that happens um, to stable coins, uh, where, you know, like Luna, for example, which is kind of um, is minted and burned in order to support the price of UST. Um, and if uh, Luna goes down in price and then people are 
or um, you know, minting Luna to just to sell it, then it's like this vicious feedback loop where um, the, the the kind of mechanism to arbitrage um, to maintain the peg for UST doesn't work anymore if Luna is uh, falling, um, you know, precipitously. So how do you solve that? Well, the founder is now looking to um, uh, incorporate Bitcoin reserves um, so that perhaps it doesn't rely fully on Luna. It relies on partially on Bitcoin as well. So, I mean, you can just see that this is experimental. I mean, on the one hand, it's a little bit scary, but on the other hand, it's kind of rewriting the textbooks, right? I mean, at what point in our lives, you know, when we're in, in, in school, we read stuff and it's all like, okay, this is the way it's done. Okay, this is the way we've determined is the way it should be done. But it's kind of an experimentation phase right now. Um, and that may sound somewhat scary, uh, but I think um, this is where, you know, if you do your homework, you'll realize that not every product is the same. Not every experiment is the same. And so uh, I would say not put all of your eggs in one basket and one stable coin. Um, you know, and uh, as I said, you know, stable coins could be a whole new, whole new podcast. But um, this is a really, yeah, it, it's worth, um, you know, kind of our listeners to be aware that USDT, you know, USDC, um, and now it seems like UST are all kind of, it seems like blue chip stable coins. Um, so maybe that's the place to start. Before you go, but I want to also down. preface that, like, remember, like, stable yeah. coins are still relatively new, right? Tether has been around forever. USDC has like kind of been around a decent amount of time now, but like, really, the first kind of algorithmic stable coin we saw, or not really algorithmic, but first like decentralized stable coin we saw was Dai, right? And Dai didn't come on the scene until just like a few years ago, so it's still relatively young. The whole mm. stable coin space, even though you know, when you look at the total value in stablecoin, like a disgusting, huge billion dollar, like multi, multi <laughs> billion dollar sum of money. But, um, you know, they're still relatively new. A lot of these stable coins come out um, and some don't do very well. Uh, Faye is kind of the example I th- I'm thinking of where like they were incredibly hyped at launch a year ago. They raised like over a billion dollars in their token generation event. In Ethereum, but you know their stablecoin Faye just wouldn't keep peg. It just would be at like ninety cents, ninety four cents, sometimes even like 80, 85 cents. And ultimately, they had to scrap their whole mechanism and design altogether to finally get their stablecoin um, to peg to the dollar. So <laughs> everything in the young and very new, um, especially in stablecoins where a lot of the mechanisms that are designed are just experimental, like you said. Um, they're very, you know, they might have been game theory out or whatever, but it remains to be seen if they can sustain themselves through multiple, multiple years and multiple, multiple market cycles. I feel like we should have uh, Evan on again as uh, <laughs> in, in the near future. He's got so many, and I'm sure, I'm sorry, Evan, I'm sure that we didn't cover you know, even just a small percentage of your, your questions. Um, but I, I hope it was still somewhat helpful. Yes, yes, it's extremely helpful. And I, I, uh, I have opened up my wallet and start to be more actively uh, investing. So I'll see how it goes. Wow. Yeah, that's, we would love to have you on again. I honestly like think these kind of shows are helpful for people, right? Like with Garrity, 
on my friend earlier, like just having more people on that are getting into crypto new and just kind of talking to them about whatever their questions and thoughts are, I think would be super helpful. Yeah, I hope, my, so, I hope my stupid questions echo with a lot of newbies uh, like <laughs> out there no, they, to the podcast. No, they were great questions. Really awesome question. And again, I mean, doing your homework, doing your research. Uh, so listeners, um, you know, I, I think you've kind of get a sense of, um, you know, what Jeff and I are, our views on this space certainly are. And uh, I hope, um, you know, gets you excited. Uh, we're in the exploratory stage. Um, so certainly if there's that part of you that's very curious, uh, highly recommend that you kind of like what Evan did, right? I mean, I remember when I first kind of chatted with you, Evan, your eyes kind of glazed over. You're like, oh, Will, can you stop pestering me about, you know, crypto? Like I, I probably appeared uh, as that annoying guy, but it's just so awesome to see in such a short period of time, you're asking these very thoughtful questions. So um Maybe we'll, uh, yeah, maybe we'll end it there uh, for, for time's uh, yeah, consideration. Sure, sure. But um, we hope to uh, have you on again and look forward, Jeff, I look forward to having this podcast up. Uh, I think this is quite a, um, and thanks, Jeff, for kind of, you know, being the guy who, um, you know, kind of has the more, the more technical uh, kind of uh, understanding of this space. And, and I think it's, um, it's, uh, it's always a pleasure. Yeah, same. It's always fun. Awesome. Take care. Awesome. Have a good weekend. Take care, guys. Yeah, take it easy, man. Bye-bye. Bye. Goodbye.